0: democracy in 1803 Africans gave the freest world the freest nation to the entire world the only country in the world that did not allow slavery was Haiti and not only did not allow it but the only country in the world that put its natural resources towards fighting against any oppression was Haiti. Simon Bolivar, who liberated South America anyone who knows the history knows it was Haiti that gave him the money outfitted him with ships to start the struggle and the Haitians demanded only one thing of Bolivar. When you free venezuela when you free colombia when you free argentina when you free peru free the slaves the only condition of which they required of and Boulevard. this is history you can't hide the truth and if you know your history you look for history you will find it you can imagine the threat that history imposed that haiti imposed upon america since 1803 there was nothing that american imperialism one other thing i must tell you From this period, 1803, Haiti fought every major European power, the Americans, the French, the Spanish, the Germans, the Portuguese, all of them, trying to bring Haiti down. And not one of them could make Haiti renege on her democratic principles. On that country, there would never be on that territory a slave. Every man, every woman was free. You just make it to Haiti and you're free. No slavery. Everywhere else, there was slavery. Everywhere else. In the great America, they were, let's not talk about that. So anyway, you could imagine the threat that Haiti posed. American imperialism, all of its life, had only one objective to bring those slaves back onto the plantation. There was only one objective, bring those slaves back to the plantation. And America, France, all of them could not bring Haiti back to the plantation. Even after slavery was uh, made illegal throughout the Western Hemisphere and was even abandoned and emancipation proclamations were read everywhere, Haiti continued to be the guiding inspiration for Africans throughout the Western Hemisphere. It was not until nineteen fifteen that American imperialism could put the heels of the Marines on Haiti. Install Papa Doc, a scum of our race, one who would bow down to the wishes of imperialism and rape his people without the slightest mercy. And since then, that's where Haiti has been, and that's where it is to this day. And it's certainly not Bill Clinton who is going to liberate it, just the masses of Africa.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to Horn of Africa Leftist Podcast. On this episode, we'll discuss how the late 1800s Ethiopian mythology is a counter-autological resistance to the Haitian Revolution. So for context, the Haitian Revolution started in 1791 to 1804 versus the Battle of Ottawa in 1896. These are two key points event that happened in 1800s. Now, we must understand how the Battle of uh, Ottawa and how Ethiopia was framed, uh, the mythology that was pushed out, and how the black diaspora and the white scholars, uh, intellectual, and the promoters of white supremacy co-opted the Abyssinian mythology or Ethiopian mythology. That is, Ethiopia is three thousand years old, is a Africa independent uh, state for three thousand years, and so on and so on. So, uh, this is a long um, effort to pretty much counter. The events of the Haitian Revolution, its power and its significance, uh, and it speaks to you know the fear of uh, anything that resists uh, white supremacy. The Haitian revolution was a resistance against white supremacy, while the Battle of Ottawa was not. The creation of Ethiopia was not. It is pretty much reinforced the white supremacy idea. there is four, therefore you see a lot more. White scholars, European scholars that are really obsessed in promoting this Ethiopian mythology versus the Haitian Revolution, uh, and so on. So the, the fixation over Ethiopia and the Battle of Ottawa in 1896 versus uh, the Haitian Revolution is must be understood. Let's begin. Uh, the Haitian Revolution put fear and nightmare in European colonial powers, not Abyssinia. Ask yourself, why was Haiti penalized after its revolution, trapped in two depths to the French? For decades, while Abyssinia, after the Battle of Ottawa, got support and nation-building from Europe powers, I always said the Haitian Revolution should have been the only symbol of black resistance from the 1800s. For the Black Diaspora, Africa, not Abyssinia. Av- uh, Haiti is a nar- is a narrative of slave uh, revolting. Abyssinia is a feudal monarch who enriched themselves from slavery in 1800 with European assistance. This is the narrative that we must understand there's a difference here ethiopia is a creation of european colonialism and the battle of ottawa was battle of, battle of ottawa was a proxy war between france and britain haiti was the real deal not Abyssinia. truly a black nation and african resistant was realized with haiti not ethiopia not the battle of ottawa Haiti narrative is never centered compared to the promotion of Ethiopia, and there's a reason for it. And this is an issue, a criticism, not just for the white scholars and those who promote white supremacy, but the failure of the, the black left, certain elements, uh, uh, you know, who promote pan-Africanism in the diaspora, have been pushing this narrative for years, overly centering Ethiopia and the Battle of Ottawa versus Haiti is intentional. Haiti, in its narrative, its ideological philosophy in its historical context is never centered. You know there has been different angles uh, within Black America from the 1900s, 1930s that was there, but there was an intentional push from the white supremacy intellectuals, scholars from the British sides, all sides, European side, who overly promote the idea of Ethiopia over Haiti, and that's intentional. So let's begin. I think the best thing to do is to give a uh, quick context, as obviously, uh, to the Haitian Revolution, what it means. And then also give context why the mythology of Ethiopia, 3000 years old uh, and so on, the Battle of Ottawa and its uh, promotion was pretty much embellished. And this narrative and mythology is embellished in order to reinforce white supremacy w- via Ethiopia. The first neo-colonial state in Africa. All right, let's begin. The Haitian Revolution has often been described as the largest and most successful slave rebellion in Western uh, Hemisphere. Slave initiated the rebellion in 1791, and by 1803, they had succeeded in ending not just slavery but the French control over the colony. That's powerful. Haiti had a history of slave rebellion. There were uh, there were slave rebellions before 1791. There were poisoning and masters, slitting of throats. So the Haitians, our African brothers, were rebelling before 1791. Before the fighting ended, 100,000 of the 500,000 Africans and 24,000 of the 40,000 whites were killed in resistance. That is powerful. That sits a big signal to white supremacy. you you know it's it hits a nerve from 1800 late 18 i mean uh, early 1800 former slaves managed to stave off resisted both the french forces and the british who arrived in 1793 to conquer the colony and who drew in 17, uh, 1798 after a series of defeat by the haitian revolutionaries by 1801 haiti abolished slavery it was a key moment here no african no state after uh, in 1800 abolished slavery except haiti significant Kwame tory notes this And has very significant historical context that can be given the importance of Haiti abolishing slavery in 1801. The Haitian Revolution outlasted the French Revolution, which, you know, it originally was inspired. But the in addition to that, Napoleon dispatched 40,000 French troops to capture and restore both French rule and slavery. But they were defeated On on November 18, 1803. The French forces were defeated january 1st 1804 the haitians declared their nations independent and renamed it to haiti france became the first nation to recognize its independence haiti became the first african republic or black republican in the world and that itself was very very powerful ideologically and that must be emphasized but the war on Haiti never ended With uh, pretty much after 1804, but it continued in various forms via intervention, coups attempts, and continued management of the Haitian state by disregarding the people demand. Compare that with Ethiopia, in which from the beginning, Europe helped create Ethiopia, turned into the first African neo-colonial state with the Abyssinian feudal uh, leaders being their local administrator and manager from the beginning. So below pretty much The next phase in the course I'm going to give out is pretty much provide a counter narrative that challenges the mythology around the Battle of Ottawa. And also the the symbol of Ethiopia being the resistance, the black resistance, the African resistance. This is delusional. This is false on every level. You have Haiti, a symbol of resistance that actually slit the masters, colonial masters, European masters, and put the fear on white supremacy. Ethiopia did not do that. It reinforces the white supremacy. It reinforces neocolonialism. It reinforces the mirror image of European not challenge it with Haiti. Haiti challenged this notion. So let's move forward. I'm going to quote uh, a noted professor f- a, uh, from the Oromo region who is Ethiopian, who has a lot of research and information that is crucial to understanding the Battle of Ottawa. So let's begin he quotes it as the following the circumstances under the in which the people of the south such as the oromo who were conquered in 1880 and the walata who were conquered by Melik two years before the battle of ottawa were made to march north and participate in the battle of ottawa must be noted it was after ottawa that Melik imposed the notorious gabar system on the conquered south, which is a slavery slavery and the slave trade became even more rampant therefore after the conquest of the rest of the south and southwest ethiopia outside of the abyssinia which became hunting ground for captives and ivory it was the it was the italian invasion of uh, 1936 and occupation for five years which brought the outrageous and evil trade of slavery to the end Ethiopia never ended slavery like Haiti did in 1801. It waited until 1936. This is a historical fact. And he quotes, and moving forward, he quotes. The professor that I'm quoting, is his name is Makaru Balachu. He has a PhD professor, and I'll provide the quote in the podcast note. But moving forward, this quote that he gives is really interesting. The United Country Called Ethiopia, which according to Larbo and Borjo, existed centuries before Adwa, is a myth. The fact that is when he turned... Nor to meet the Italians at Ottawa, Millic was in the midst of conquest of the south. The entire Macha region, the Gabe Laga states, was annexed only in 1886. Arcee was conquered in 1886. Haragu in 1887. Walatu was conquered in 1894. The sores inflicted by the atrocity committed against the Oromo at Anlawa and Kaluna in 1886 and 1887 by the conquering Abyssinian forces were still bleeding. Even Wallo conquest in the north was completed in 1878 after years of battles between Melek and Emperor Johannes on the side of the Wallo, Oromo, and the other. And he moves forward. The key, key facts here while the Abyssinians were defending quote unquote freedom, the Oromo had no freedom to defend against the Italians. They had lost it to the Abyssinians during the preceding decade. Their land was an Abyssinian colony. The contribution they were forced to make uh, to the war effort saved the Abyssinians from European colonialism, but it did not help to regain their independence. Key, key code here. Moving forward, the Oromo did not fight at Ottawa as ethnic Abyssinians or citizens of Abyssinia, at Borgo and other commentators try to suggest. They fought for their colonizers. They were not the first people to fight at war for their enemies. So this key quote here from an Oromo professor giving insight to how the Oromo and the southern population that were colonized by the Abyssinians did not fight. They were slave, conquered subjugated people. Moving forward, a different quote, a different scholar. Uh, in his Ethiopia, the last frontier, John Marcus writes that Abyssinia competed successfully in the imperialist partition of the Horn of Africa. Not a victim, but a participant in the scramble, Ethiopia doubled its territory and population in a burst of expansion energy, and there, there, therefore, afterwards proudly styled itself as the Ethiopian Empire. He notes that the title "empire" is not a misnomer, since Ethiopia rulers governed their new possession more or less the same way for similar ends as the other imperial powers were doing. The people who took pride in calling themselves Ethiopians were known as Abyssinians, Habshah. Moving forward, another quote, conflict researcher uh, Christian Strayer um, pronounces the name, notes that the European and Abyssinian colonial colonialism occur simultaneously, pursue similar interests, albeit from different social economic basis, and that was reinforced by comparable colonial ideology of the ideas of empire, notion of civilizing mission, and the exploitation of the subjugated people. The Abyssinians had a different ideological line versus the Haitian revolutionary, who were about liberating the Haitian uh, slaves, uh, liberating other slaves in South America, and so on. This is anti-colonial. The Haiti is anti-colonial struggle compared to the Abyssinians. Moving forward, Menleks con- colonial conquest. You know, another uh, Ethiopian scholar historian uh, notes that he also stated that the Abyssinian ruling elite acted like the whole. Uh, Pretty much like the white colonial rulers In the rest of Africa The language they used when describing their colonial Subject did not differ from the language The European colonists were using It was a language which was infused with Stereotype, prejudices, uh, paternalism He adds that the Abyssinian elite Tried to, much like the European colonizers Of the time to justify The exploitation, moral validity Of the occupation They looked upon, treated the indigenous people As backwards What can add here that the stereotype and ethnic slurs about the Oromo people and Habesha discourse are the product of this colonial ideology started in the late 1800. Another scholar, marguerite Fairham, notes the speed in which this great extension of the empire was made is explained by firearms with the empire uh, with Emperor Melik, which was obtained from France. This same superiority was carrying the European powers at the same speed at the same time from coast and the heart of Africa. The Swedish historian Norbrick also states that using the same military technology as the European power, Melik managed not only to conquer the neighboring African territories, but also was able to garrison them with larger forces called the NEFTA, who are pretty much enforcing settler colonialism in the southern. Region of Ethiopia, such as Oromia, Somali region, and so on. This is the this is a historical uh, recording. Pretty much, uh, you know, another scholar I suggested by Richard Quag: the system of near serfdom imposed on wide areas of the south by the end of nineteenth century couldn't have couldn't have been maintained had the newcomers had been so differently armed. The historian, another historian, Darkwell notes that Melek succeeded in keeping the arms out of reach of the Oromo enemy. He did this by imposing a strict control of the movement of firearms into this territory and the lands beyond his frontier. Darku notes that in 1877, a French named Pottier was employed in training a group of Abyssinian youths in European, European military techniques. Another Frenchman, Pinio, was a regular officer in the army, which was commanded by an Abyssinian named Raskubana. Swiss engineer Alfred. Uh, L.G. Zimmerman were employed, among other things, building bridge across the different regions to facilitate movement of Abyssinian troops. According to a different scholar researcher, Chris Poultry, uh, Colonial Arm- Armutov, together with other Europeans, was attached to the force commanded by Ras Nadu. He adds that even the Count uh, Nicholas Latavano, a colonial in the Russian army, was a commander of force which was sent to conquer the Southwest in 1890s. Another Russian officer, Baron Chardavo, was Latano second in commanding the expedition. Several French and Russian medical officers were al- also attached to the Abyssinian forces, particularly those who were led by Melek and European commander. The Russian uh, Crossbow Captain Alexander were Beluch- wrote that with him there were Lieutenant Kalachovsky, Arden Lee along with Commander Kosisk, who had finished the term of service who received their audience by Melek and took leave for him and returned to Russia in June 1898. Move forward. Uh, I think it's important to quote this uh, by, by the professor. Genocide was committed not only on the Kachu it was also the fact the fate of many of the indigenous people on the Omi River Valley, luke Rudolph region, and of the southern western lowland, who were conquered by the Abyssinians in the aftermath of the Adowa victory. Bultuach, who followed Raswaldi uh during his conquest and territories south of Kaffa, writes that in his diary, with the armies of melik by order of the Emperor, a fifteen thousand man corpse set out in a campaign to annex the realm of Ethiopia vast line, which lies to the south of it, which no one before had explored and which were completely unknown. Moving forward, although the actual conquer- conquest was completed in 1890, the atrocity against the conquered population denied ease by large. Slavery and slave trade continued until the Italian invasion in 1936 of Ethiopia. As an Ethiopian historian has stated, Medlec extension of Ethiopia frontier and incorporation of new areas, uh, new areas accentuated the predatory tendency of the ruling class and soldiers. Southwest Ethiopia became a hunting ground for humans as well as animals. Ivory and slave became the two precious comedies with which traders and ventures returned from the region. Moving forward, he also, the Ethiopian scholar, he wrote that members of upper, upper nobility came to have thousand and sometimes 10 to 10,000 slave, slaves in their disposal pretty much the abyssinian rulers feudal rulers had large slave you know they were l- large slave uh, owners you know this is something the celebrated uh, historian Panarchist notes that Melek and his wife owned over 70,000 slaves uh, one of the rosswaldu owned 20,000 slaves at the beginning of the 20th century not until 1936 40 years after battle of the british journalist and author wrote that the people of the south who were treated with wanton brutality unequal even the belgian congo some areas were depopulated by slaves Comparing the harms inflicted by the Belgian colonists in Congo and Abyssinian colonists in the south, he argued that the significance of the Congo atrocities is not so much that they were committed as they were exp- uh, exposed and suppressed. So these are key quotes to make you understand the narrative around Ethiopia and the Abyssinian around the, uh, you know, pretty much projecting this ideological narrative that the Battle of Ottawa, what we call Ethiopia, is the center of African resistance. This is false. Haiti is there to remind us the danger of Western intervention Haiti is there to remind us the danger of NGO aid intervention and management over the state Haiti is there to remind us the power of the masses Haiti is truly the symbol of Africans resistant now saying this we're seeing this current development happening with the assassination of the Haitian uh, president who was a puppet of Washington uh, you know a lot of uh, challenges in Haiti is pretty much the center uh, of uh, the focus right now for different conversation but it's never been the t- attention it never gotten the attention it deserved haiti should be the center of african resistance symbolically ideologically and we must use it as a uh, tool for pan-african history and resistance not abyssinia not ethiopia saying this i note that the current intervention or efforts to intervene in ethiopia uh does not mean we must ignore it does not mean that Uh, We must support the harming of the Ethiopian state currently in the present. No. You can have the opposition to the Abyssinian fundamentalism and its mythology of Ethiopia being 3,000 years old. It resisted African colonialism, which is not true. Uh, And also, it is a 3,000-year-old state. These are the part of the Abyssinian uh, fundamentalism which echoes white supremacy. Compare that to the Haitian Revolution. That's a powerful comparison here. Ethiopia versus Haiti. Haiti in the beginning, 1800s, uh, was very much put shock to white supremacy versus the Battle of Ottawa. Now, people say Battle of Ottawa might have given this idea that uh, the defeat of the Italians for somehow means, therefore, uh, it is a defeat of white supremacy. That's not true. Giving the historical context that I just gave, the Battle of Ottawa must be understood as a proxy war between the French who supported the medlec versus the british the british supported the italians making you know an effort to enter the horn of africa the italians were secondary poor power didn't matter the main factors in power competition between the french and the british were the main driving force of the battle of ottawa that's where they had different competition and the battle of ottawa was a proxy war between the british and the french now saying all this uh, you know, after the Battle of Ottawa, they came to understand they need to leave Ethiopia as a neutral ground where they both can benefit from the colonialism, the resources. That's why you had different uh, European colonialist, uh, colonial forces building Ethiopia in eighteen, uh, uh, late 1800, 1900. And this is why Ethiopia is a creation of European colonialism just indirectly. And it's very sophisticated and very creative. Very creative. And the ideological narrative that is set by Europeans is to present Ethiopia as a nation state as a creation of locally indigenous when it was not. The subjugation of the Abyssinians, uh, I mean Abyssinians of the southern population and indigenous population must be understood. It is totally contradictory to the narrative set by the Haitian Revolution, which is of revolting against slavery. Compare that to the narrative set uh, on behalf of, uh, of Menlek who owned slaves. Uh, The Abyssinian mythology, who who until 1936, slavery was not even abolished. So I challenge everyone to center Haiti. It is our resistance. It is the symbol of African resistance. It must be the center of Pan-Africanism. It must be a way for the black diaspora to focus on this. The black left must disengage from the romanticism of Ethiopia. Disengage from the Abyssinian fundamentalism mythology that has not been scrutinized. For the last 100 years please all the pan-africanists please disengage and be uh principled now saying all this we must oppose western intervention in ethiopia just like we do uh in haiti you can have opposition to the mythology the false mythology of what we just listed ethiopia means 3,000 years old and so on and so on so let's make that clear uh c- keep it consistent about in, you know opposing western intervention in haiti and also ethiopia but at the same time must understand Haiti and its true symbolism of being African resistance. And that's it. Thank you very much. Hopefully, this short podcast uh, will add to a different conversation, make people understand how significant Haiti was and the threat to white supremacy versus Ethiopia, which was not a threat to white supremacy. Rather, it was manufactured. The mythology was helped, created by the Europeans. The state was in, first African neocolonial state compare that to haiti so thank you very much uh looking forward to next episode all right bye